Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk, of course, USC football. That's what we always talk about, USC Trojan football. Uh, 2-0 and to start the 2017 season with a big win, 42-24 to over the Stanford Cardinal. So Dan Weber is joining the show today. We guys have sent in a ton of questions, as usual. So we're going to get to try to do our best to get to all of those. We'll have more shows later in the week, too. Um, so if we don't get anything today, we'll try to answer them in our later shows. We did five podcasts last week, probably doing the same this week. So uh, a lot of podcasts, a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, of course, Texas coming up uh, this weekend. If you have a question for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Our text and voicemail numbers, 424-254-9141. Try, try to keep all the questions brief. Don't write multiple paragraphs. If you're going to do that, do it, put them on the, uh, on the peristyle on uscfootball.com on our premium message board. You can go over there and do that. Quick text, quick voicemails. Those would be the best. So, um, or emails as well. So let's, uh, let's talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber. What is up, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Um, Good to be two and zero, as Clay said. Uh, the goal is to be one and zero each week, and uh, uh, they've done that so far. And uh, if they can keep doing that, uh, life will be good. Life certainly will. Uh, the uh, second longest winning streak in the country to Funny Oklahoma, who had a shot of losing theirs because they were playing Ohio State, but uh, big win there for uh, uh, the Oklahoma Sooners, so big, you know, that was pretty cool. So two uh, Oklahoma and USC, uh, longest winning streaks in the country right now. Um, wanted to hey, jump there's in. My, there's my pick, uh, Rose Bowl. Oklahoma, USC in the uh, Rose Bowl semifinals uh, for the uh, college football playoffs. That would be uh, a rematch. We've all, you know, people want to talk about the rematch of the USC-Texas uh, game. I think I'd rather talk about the rematch of the <laughs> USC-Oklahoma game from the Orange Bowl. That's that's the game I think USC fans would like to be neat if you could get both of those in the same season. That would, yeah, that would be great, two uh, Big 12 teams. Um, yeah, Lincoln Riley's doing a great job. Actually, so Clay Helton probably has the longest winning streak in the country as a head coach, right? Oh, no question. Yes, yep, yep. How about that? Yeah, so. Uh, he deserved it last week. He did everything he could possibly do to earn, uh, you know, you just can't coach him up any better pretty much than, um, than they did. Certainly on offense and defense, you can't coach them up any better. And heck, hey, they're, you know, you even want to talk special teams, USC's leading the nation in net punting. How about that? So, oh, uh, you know, life is, uh, life is pretty good. All right. Before we jump into all the questions, wanted to thank our sponsor. They've been great to us. Trader Joe's, uh, 50 years in business here in Southern California and across the country is their 50th anniversary just last month. Um, the very first one was up in, uh, Pasadena. Actually, we're going to go there on Thursday for, uh, Coach Harvey Hyde's radio event, but on the Arroyo Parkway, uh, the newest one is at USC in the USC Village. We checked that out a few weeks ago. It was awesome. I got some positive feedback from people that were checking out the USC Village to do a little tailgating stuff before they head to campus or pick up supplies for tailgating. So people were writing me saying, yeah, we went over there and, you know, bought some cheese or some beer or some wine and stuff. So it's really cool to have that right next to campus. So before you're going to a game to, to tailgate, but they got, you know, if you're in your local one too, uh, they have everyday shopping stuff like, you know, butter and eggs and milk, uh, bread, things like that. But, you know, we're talking about football. So that's what you want to go over there and do the tailgating stuff. Really cool bu- beer and wine selection and, uh, some, some awesome stuff over there. 
Uh, Dan, I, I know you had a run-in with a neighbor, too, who was uh, talking about Trader Joe's. Yeah, good one, actually. I was heading out to the car <laughs> after lunch, and uh, uh, end of last week, and uh, hadn't really talked to her much, but she's carrying this big, uh, beautiful bouquet. And literally the first words out of her mouth were, I love Trader Joe's. And she had, uh, during lunchtime, I guess she had missed a, uh, uh, an employee, a fellow employee's birthday. And she had a chance at lunchtime to run home and, uh, and stop at Trader Joe's on the way and was heading back to work with the, with the bouquet. So I, I got some, uh, some big points, uh, for the fact that, uh, we had just done a show at Trader Joe's and had gotten to, you know, sit down and have lunch with, uh, uh, President John Bassalone. And it was, uh, so now I'm, uh, I'm like a really important person because I know, uh, I know the Trader Joe's story. And uh, the inside of Trader Joe's, but literally the first words, I love Trader Joe's. So we can uh, we can second that uh, that emotion. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, thanks again to Trader Joe's. And let's jump right in, Dan. We're going to do some, uh, we got voicemails, we got text messages, we got a lot of emails. Uh, let me play this first voicemail for you. Here you go. Hey, y'all, Jeremiah from Snake Lake. I didn't really appreciate being called a personality yesterday on the show, but... I'm going to let it slide. My question today is for D.W. D.W., we had two kickers, and both of them were average. Then one started to get a little bit better, and the other one decided to tear his knee all to hell. So he's done. Now, what are you supposed to do midseason when you got one kicker who's a tackle away from being hurt himself? We're supposed to go, you know, is it strictly walk-ons? What do you do? We're going to go class to class? Hey, D.L.A.T., you hit up the med school. Johnny Nansen, you check out engineering. What, just what the hell? I mean, this is, uh, I, we got more wide receivers than we got water, but we only got one kicker, and he's a walk-on. I'll take my answer off the air. Yeah, good question, Jeremiah. Uh, maybe some assumptions that aren't completely accurate. To be honest, uh, Wyatt Schmidt, uh, who does everything. He's the backup long snapper. He's the holder. He's on scholarship now. He's the, the guy that gets uh, 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 Jake Olson into position. He, uh, he's a man of all kinds of uh, – was a big-time hockey player back in Minnesota. He also has, to his credit, uh, a 47-yard field goal in high school. It was a really good field goal kicker. So my guess is we're going to see Wyatt Schmidt uh, now – the problem is he's the backup long snapper. He's also the, the holder. I'm not sure uh, if he can become the kicker, too, because that would be one of the great moments in college football if, if Wyatt could snap the ball to himself and hold it while he kicks it. <laughs> Probably can't. He may not be able to pull off all of that. But I do think they do have somebody who would be pretty uh, – uh, pretty satisfactory uh you know first of all you need somebody can kick uh extra points you just need to be able to if somebody goes down my guess is chase mcgrath will do no chasing on kickoff coverage he is going to play safe 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 safety and uh he is not uh going to go down and try to make a play which uh michael brown michael brown did and, uh, you know, he got it on his left knee, unfortunately, not his, not his right knee, but it doesn't matter. Your plant leg might be just as important as your, as your, your kicking leg. So, uh, 
but I think they I think they have an option there. I, I really do, and I think he's there, and he's you know I mean he's the guy that held the ball uh, you know for Matt Bormeister last. Year. He's a he's accustomed to performing under pressure. So uh, so I think uh, I'd be interesting to watch today at practice. I think we're going to get to see uh, see you know what that looks like with uh, Wyatt uh, as a place kicker. Yeah, maybe a uh, women's soccer team, Dad. Maybe they can pull someone from that. That'd be another good story. You got to have a Jake Olson, like a blind long snapper, and you could have uh, a female soccer player kicking the kick. That would be uh, that'd be an even bigger story. I'd like that. Uh, yeah, and as good as that soccer team is, there might be somebody there. Uh, I would guess this is the kind of program now people might really want to get involved with. So uh, who knows? For some reason, USC has the ability to get it to have these stories just happen. We always kidded about, you know, don't worry, uh, there'll be a new, you know, a new, the news cycle never goes away when it's USC, and uh, and this is just another example. We got a text question. Um, he says, hey, guys, Jared from Denver, Colorado. Why isn't Kenny Bigelow being involved in the defense more? Was it He was a tremendous prospect out of high school and is still a physical specimen. Well, I think... He's still working his way back. I mean, he's had, you know, the major part of, of a couple of seasons, and then there was, you know, that he hasn't really been able to play, and then there was another season where we're not even sure uh, why they chose not to give him much of an opportunity uh, before his, uh, you know, second knee injury. Uh, so I think it's it's a lot of just, you know, working his way back. Uh, there are some pretty good athletes that haven't been on the field very much on defense, and it's one of the, you know, the issues uh, of this team going forward is getting those guys on the field, that next group of guys. And uh, you know, I think I think we'll see more of that, but uh, it's a pretty high, you know, high bar, a demanding standard to get on the field, and uh, it, I, I think you will see more Kenny. But, uh, I mean, he kind of, I don't know that they've actually always felt like they had an absolute position for Kenny. You know, I, mean, I think he was, well, let's take a look at him, at, you know, at, at, at nose tackle. But is that the right place? He's kind of, you know, slim and trimmer at 285 now. You know, is he better off at, you know, Rasheem Green's, uh, you know, spot? Or, or where exactly is the best spot for him? So, He's had some of that shuffling, uh, you know, between positions as well. So, uh, but I think, I think you will see more of Kenny. Let's go to our buddy Nick in Cyprus, big Nick 21 USC on the peristyle. Can you lay the rest of the offensive line as a strength of this offense? Everyone claimed the sky was falling or ready to jump off a cliff. Thank you to help talk, talk everyone off the ledge. So it's it. Can you lay? Can you lay to rest that the offensive line is a strength of this offense? Okay, so I think he just wants to let yeah, – yeah. yeah. I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah, I, hey, hey, Nick, everyone didn't say that. I didn't say that. I mean, I, I, I thought having a more athletic offensive line would be – would work to what Neil Calloway wants to do with them. Uh, I think he was in a very difficult spot last year because I just don't think there was that much you could do coaching up. Zach Banner was in his fifth year, and he was what he was, you know, this big imposing guy, you know, with some, you know, flexibility issues. And uh, uh, Damian Mama was what Damian Mama was, you know, coming out of uh, 
you know, St. John Bosco, and he was that big, even slimmer, he was still that really big guy who, you know, could do some things really well, and there were other things that, that maybe he wasn't maybe going to be able to do. And the same with Chad Wheeler, who who could do some things really well. But quickness and the athleticism and the ability to just fire off the ball, the ability to get to the second level, wasn't always, always there if you watch this offensive line now i mean they're they're doing combinations they're, they're you know the two guys you know the right and the two on the left seem to really be working well together they have a, a clearly a, a more finesse and yet uh i mean you watch some of the things chris brown did and he's just come so far uh in, in the last year and and that that happens at offensive line but but yeah i didn't ever think uh, that that was not going to be a, a relative strength. I know people, you know, say, well, Toe is not tall enough. You know, he can, Toe can play. I mean, just, it's not, I mean, uh, you know, take a look at one of the all-time great offensive linemen USC's ever had, Ryan Khalil. Wasn't that tall? Wasn't that heavy? He was just a great offensive lineman. He could do everything. Uh, and I think they've got some of those kinds of guys in Chuma. It looks like he's really made a commitment. I thought, you know, him coming back in after, you know, jamming his wrist and uh, finishing out the game, I just thought showed all kinds of, you know, the kind of what you what you need to see out of Chuma, a guy with great, you know, feet and great technique and great angles and all the stuff. And, you know, to see him uh, do what he's doing uh, and to see them just attack, Stanford. I mean, they attacked Stanford. They didn't wait, you know, for Stanford, uh, you know, to come after them like we've seen too often. They went out and got them. And that combination with those running backs, I mean, the running backs obviously feel it. And, and the way, you know, Coach McCullough is working with Coach Callaway, uh, it's just uh, it's kind of a joy to behold as it was uh, Saturday. So, so yeah, I, I didn't ever think that. I know a lot of people just looked at the – you know, they said, well, you're losing two all Pac-12 offensive tackles, you know, who've been there forever. Well, you're screwed. You know, that's, and then you're losing Damian Mama too. Well, that's three-fifths of the offensive line. You, you know, you're, you got no chance. That didn't make any sense when you looked at Toa Lobadon and Chuma Adoga. Uh, I think Chris Brown was by far the biggest question mark in most of our minds. And when we see what he's doing, uh, you know, that's the last question mark. Let's move on to uh, Jesse. He says, uh, Lions, Tigers, Bears, oh my, run, block, and tackle. Throw and catch when you need it. It's just that simple. Lions, offensive line, tight end, uh, Vave, Malapiai, lead blocking in the two-back set. I loved it. What a difference a week makes. Tigers, the wide receivers came out and just devoured the Stanford secondary along with the tight ends. The running backs are insane. Again, 200-yard rushers. Bears, defensive front seven. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Uchenna was a man among boys. Man, he spelled Uchenna in a weird way. <laughs> defensive, yeah. defense, with an S to start. Uh, defensive played, uh, defense played on the Stanford side uh, of the line of scrimmage. Oh my, we have tight ends at USC. LOL. Once again, the coaching staff stands tall. What do you think? Uh, very respectfully, Jesse Rodriguez, uh, Sergeant, uh, USA retired. Yeah, Sergeant, uh, I think what 
I like the best is they figured out, and I've been saying this for a long time, and I certainly said it this year, and I'm so glad to be able to actually see it. But my, my take has always been if USC can run the football on you, you're in a world of trouble. Because if they can run it, they're absolutely going to be able to pass it. And you're going to be – so I just think the idea is what do you – you know, if I'm a USC coach, what do we have to do to be able to run the ball on these guys? That's clearly the question they asked themselves and answered last week against Stanford. And I think it's what you do for the entire season. How do we line up against these guys? How do we run the ball on them? And if you force them to stop the run and force those defensive backs to help out and force those linebackers to be run conscious, you are going to be able to throw the ball. With Sam Darnold and Deontay Burnett, Stephen Mitchell, you're going to be able to throw the ball down the field. And uh, if you can do both of those, I mean, who 623 yards? pretty much equally divided against Stanford. I think that's, that's the one thing that is however, however you, you thought that game went. If you're the Stanford people when you, you kind of heard them after the game and even now the next couple of days, they can't believe it. They cannot believe USC just lined up, lined up against them and, and put 623 yards of offense on them. I mean, that just – that doesn't happen. I mean, you know, maybe – when they've got, like last year, they had a couple of weeks where they had everybody was hurt. But when a Stanford team comes in there, you know, healthy and ready to go, and you just line and line up against them and knock them off the ball and knock them off the line of scrimmage and throw it when you want to, that doesn't happen. I mean, they were supposed to have, some people were saying they had the best secondary in the country. Uh, and they had a couple of guys who made unbelievably athletic plays, and it still, it didn't matter. So, yes, he can do what they did. Uh, if they can line up and run the ball on you, you are in a world of hurt. Tarek has a question, Dan. How do we put some more size on John Houston? He's always in the right spot, but gets pushed around a lot. You know, I, I was talking to him after the game, and I'm looking and thinking, uh, he just, he's got Quentin Powell written all over him. I mean, we talked to Quentin, you know, for four years about how can he do it. And some people can't, and I don't know, you know, if John is one of those guys, what you have to do then is you got to use him perfectly. You have to not let him get caught up in the traffic inside. You've got to figure out how do we get him free because he can run to the football and he can run and make plays in space. And that's what you got to figure out. How do we get him so that he has the ability to do what his ability allows him to do. He's got length, you know, at 6'3". At 217, you know, he's, he's a pretty lean guy. But um, uh, you just got to keep him from getting uh, getting caught in, in traffic inside, and that's something I think as the season goes on, they'll figure out more and more where where he needs to be and, and how he needs to play with Cam. And how they need to get him, uh, you know, get him freed up so he can run to the football. I mean, he can run, he can flat out go sideline to sideline. He can get there. And there are a lot of things he can do. So you just don't want to put him in a position where he's trying to do things that, uh, that he can't do. Uh, Dan, let's see. We'll go to a voicemail question again. Here we go. Hello. This is Myron from Queens. My question is for Mr. Daniel Weber. 
if I sound a little off, I'm in the hospital. I am just got my left leg broken so that they could reset it. No, nothing, nothing to worry about. Just an old sick ball injury. And plus the holidays are coming. So why not get it done now? My question for Daniel is, Mr. Harvey Hyde said yesterday, we've got to get a third receiver. Okay? we got to get Barnett is good. Stephen Mitchell is good. We need a third one to step up. Now, I know you're on the inside, and nobody knows it like Daniel Weber. Okay? So I know you're going to say the coaches say, but I ain't talking to no coaches. I'm talking to Daniel Weber. <laughs> so, Daniel, who do you expect to be that third receiver? Bye-bye now. Wow. Uh, it certainly sounds like somebody calling from Queens. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's very Queensian, uh, Byron. Uh, uh, you know, my, my suggestion is, I mean, I love having Jalen out there as a leader. I think he can make the, the tough catches on the slant, and he's certainly going to block people. So I don't want to not see him out there. Uh, I think they've got some candidates. Obviously, Michael Pittman's coming back this week. I mean, he had to like Michael after last year, and uh, he's got the size. He's got the toughness. He's just one of those really determined determined guys. So I, I think he is you. Uh, you know, that person, uh, I think the more Joseph Lewis gets, you know, accustomed to the speed and, the and, and just the whole college football game. I loved it that he got that big hit on the, uh, on, on kickoff coverage. I just think he needs to, to just, you know, he certainly got all the physical, uh, you know, tools you'd, you'd ever want. I thought, uh, Valus Jones found an open spot and made a great diving catch that, that showed me something. Uh, so, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, you know, gonna say it's gonna be this guy or this guy or that guy. I, I think, I think that next spot is gonna be all of those guys. And I also think we're gonna see an evolution at tight end. Now, whether that's Daniel or Mater Baby coming back, uh, you know, and getting healthy, they're gonna shut him down this week, it looks like, and, and just try to get him, you know, as close to 100%. And if that doesn't happen until the second half of the season or toward the end, they're still going to need him. Uh, but one of those tight ends, and I think Tyler Petit has done a pretty good job, but I think they've been pretty pleased, you know, with his uh, ability to get open and catch the ball. Uh, but, uh, but I think it's more going to be a, a group effort, and I think you're going to see, a, you know, a, a number of guys. I mean, Truon Sidney, you know, is, is getting a, a little bit of a shot each, uh, each game. So, so I don't think we can – I mean, we go to practice – and I think we're a lot like the coaches. I'm not sure anybody says this is the guy. Uh, I think it's more a, more a case that it, and that takes a little longer when you're developing, you know, a number of, of those young guys. Tyler Vaughn surprises us. He's in on red in red zone and, and things like that. They haven't looked at him yet, uh, so we're not sure, you know, what exactly, you know, is happening there. And and you know, nobody's going to say, well, this is why he's He's not out there, but, uh, but that gives you a lot of candidates to step forward and, and see what happens. And so the next few games, I think we're going to see a lot of guys trying to, 
you know, make it clear that, that they're ready to be, you know, that guy that you know, get more looks and get more targets. And the other thing they got to do, I think they got to convince Sam. That's what Stephen Mitchell said. One of the things you're trying to do is to make it clear to Sam that you will get open and you will be where you're supposed to be, and he can throw the ball to you. I mean, you, you, that's a big selling job that uh, all those wide receivers have to do is convince Sam to find me. I'll be open and I'll catch it. Uh, so I don't think we know the answer yet. Good question. Yeah, good question. One of those, uh, yeah, do your job. That's like what Bill Belichick said. <laughs> Just do your job. Every play till the end of the game. Um, so big game coming up this weekend with Texas. If you guys need tickets for anything, uh, I want to let you know about our newest sponsor, SeatGeek. So buying tickets to sporting events and concert can be very complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy using SeatGeek. It's a smarter, easier way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. So SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices. And it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like your favorite team or musician in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So I do have the SeatGeek app on my phone. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's super easy. And it's great to be able to compare ticket prices and where they are. And you can click on seats in the, in the Coliseum, which I really enjoyed. I uh, really was surprised to learn that the Stanford tickets were a lot cheaper than what Texas tickets are going for. So those are the, the hottest ticket, at least that I've seen so far. For USC football, and you can see all of that on the SeatGeek app. So it's designed to make your ticking, uh, ticket buying experience easier uh, and faster. It'll save you time, save you money. You can search multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find the amazing deal. So they go out and they'll find ticket prices from all the different brokers. So it's cool that way. Uh, you'll get more bang for your buck. They'll grade every ticket based on value. So you'll know, hey, this is a good value or this one is not. So make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best seats. On every type of ticket, from sporting events to concerts, comedy, and theater, you can do all of that. So best of all, all of my listeners on the Peristyle Podcast got $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So just go download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC, very simple, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So if you, you want to go to that Texas game and you don't know, you weren't sure yet, you haven't bought tickets, download the SeatGeek app and you'll get $20 off. Very cool. Um, uh, and since that Texas game is uh, officially sold out, uh, you know, that that would be the place to do it. Because uh, I think there were people who didn't, you know, get their tickets last week who wish they had. And now they're looking to next week and think, oh, man, it's sold out. So got to have a uh, – it's not like a Rams ticket, which I think we're selling at $10 uh, <laughs> Sunday. So uh, – <laughs> Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll be good. <laughs> be nice. Yeah, so it it really is. So that's the popular ticket. I didn't. I thought they'd be close, Stanford, and so I was looking at the two on the app, and man, it was a, it was a pretty big difference. Um, let's see. We'll Maybe go. That's the problem. I know they don't like us saying bad things, but that says probably some bad things about the Stanford fan base. I know they didn't want to hear that from us. They told us last week, uh, but uh, where were they? Yeah, they were not for a team that's that looked that good and was ranked that high. Uh, they should have been there. And, you know, a lot of people thought Stanford was going to win the game. So it wasn't like they were going to get blown out or something. So they didn't show up. Mm. Um, stayed on the farm for the weekend. They stayed on the farm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, let's go to Dennis and Lancaster. Question for Dan. 
Why do you think our special teams kickoff is struggling so much? Is it the personnel or are they just being undisciplined in their lanes? Love the show and fight on. Man, that, they don't have that look uh, that they really seem to to get where they're supposed to be and and when they're supposed to be there and they it you know and without seeing the you know the film and going over and over and over they just seem strung out and i know some of that apparently maybe the kickoff didn't go exactly where they thought it was going that the 100 yard return for Darius Phillips from Western Michigan was supposed to be kicked into the corner was kicked down the middle uh they were strung out uh kind of looking to one side and here he busted up the middle it it, it doesn't seem like you know i mean I, I was even worried about like joseph lewis i'm thinking here's an offensive guy and he's in the middle uh but you know he he got himself going on that uh that one in the second half where he just buried that uh that stanford kid so you know it might be just a case of uh you know obviously by the way darius phillips hit two touchdown returns against michigan state last week really so i didn't even know he's that got, He's got three for in two games, so he's pretty good. I mean, he, he he's the next Adore. I mean, he's uh, yeah, I mean, Adore didn't do that. Uh, so uh, so you know, he was a good lesson. But uh, I haven't been as comfortable that they've gotten enough helmets, you know, hats on the ball as as you would like to see them. Uh, one would hope that comes with uh, with experience and. Uh, uh, and we'll see. They've gone, it looks like, with a smaller, lighter, faster group, uh, and they're flying down. Uh, it's just they don't seem to, you know, have the ability not to run by the play yet. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but it's, it's something to look at. I mean, something to think about. What, what, what exactly is going on here? We have, uh, Stephen Poway. Um, he, he had a few questions. One, did you see how Michael Brown hurt his leg during the game? Like, what happened there? All I could tell was it looked like he tried to really cover, and it looked like he got hit from the side. Uh, he just got blocked. I mean, it looked like he was running. That's what I saw. That He was running down as if he were an absolute, you know, kick defender, kickoff defender, and, and he was going to make a play. Uh, you don't always see kickers do that. Uh, you probably won't see it again, but that's what I saw is, it, and he, he didn't see, uh, you know, the guy coming who, who got him in the, the left knee or, or thereabouts. And he was kind of in the middle. Obviously, if you're the kicker, you're going to be kind of in the middle of things if you really, uh, bust it, uh, down the field. But that's, that's kind of what I saw. And then he wanted to know who the backup kicker is. We talked about that already. And then three, do you think Port Augustine deserves the personal foul penalty? Uh, I'll yeah, answer for Dan, right. no. <laughs> but go ahead, Dan. <laughs> what a bad day. I mean, the Pac-12 officials have already, and I hadn't seen the video of the UCLA game where they missed that uh, unbelievable targeting from the uh, blind side by the Hawaii kid that, that just, I mean, it's like the the – if you wanted to put a video out showing, uh, you know, officials, this is targeting, it was the video. And the Pac-12 officials missed it on the field. Now they've got the power in the replay booth to overrule that and say, no, that's absolutely targeting. 
And not only did they miss it then in the booth, then poor David Coleman, who I like, the Pac-12 vice president of officiating, comes on and says it was a hit in the shoulder. You know, the, the kid's helmet is rolling, you know, and, and it was like, uh, hopefully his head's not in there. I mean, he got hit directly, you know, in the helmet and the face mask uh, from the blind side. I mean, it was the textbook definition of targeting. And the Pac-12 had to put out, uh, you know, an apology and a press release, uh, you know, that, we screwed that up, and uh, not only did we miss the call, we screwed it up because they've got a TV camera now in the Pac-12, you know, replay booth back in San Francisco, and uh, and David Coleman, you know, goes on the air to explain those things, and he got it completely wrong, and and I feel sorry for him because I like him, but that was awful, and. So that was only one of two that they probably should be apologizing for. For example, uh, Port Augustine didn't hear the whistle. Clay didn't hear the whistle. I think a lot of people didn't hear. I mean, the ball is snapped, so the center didn't hear a whistle. The quarterback, you know, uh, takes a couple of steps as if he's going to make a play. About half the players, it looked like, thought there was a play, and about half of them stopped. Now, if I'm the referee, and I'm in the line of sight with Porter Gustin. I don't just stand there with my hands in my pocket, wait for the hit, and then throw the flag. You know, that was, that was embarrassing. That was ridiculous. If you have one of those plays where the play starts and there's a whistle and you want to stop it, and you're the official and you're in the line of sight of Porter who's flying in there because he's coming on, you know, pass rush, you start waving. You immediately jump into action and you wait you give him a visual sight that he knows the play is dead that official didn't do anything i don't know if the guy i've ever seen him he's uh he was in the big sky never seen him before named chris coit from san diego uh i hadn't seen him on a pac-12 game maybe he's been on pac-12 games or not but he should be reprimanded he should have because you're not protect they say and clay was really diplomatic and said well you're trying to protect the quarterback he didn't protect the quarterback he didn't do anything he just stood there and he you throw a flag after the play that's not protecting anybody he had a chance to he if he blew the whistle and and blew the play dead he need in, in a situation that's very unusual he needs to jump into action right then and make it clear to everybody and get between He's right behind the quarterback. Get between him and anybody that's coming in. So they, so Porter needed a visual sign that that play was over. He didn't get it. And then he gets a fly. That was ridiculous. It's embarrassing. Pac-12 should reprimand that guy, and they should also put out an apology to Porter. I mean, that was he he held up as soon as he realized the play was was dead. He held up, did no damage, did no, you know, that was hard to hold up the way he did. And uh, for him to get a flag on that in a play where Stanford was third and long and in real trouble, and to give them an automatic first down, extend that drive, that you know that's the kind of play that makes people start saying, "What's going on here? Is there more going on here than just a really bad call by a really bad official?" The Pac-12 shouldn't stand for that, and they've got to stop it. And that was. Just a really bad day for the Pac-12 in L.A. Yeah, I wonder why they didn't uh, mention that one when they talked about the the other one. Like they they, you know, 
Well, maybe it's too embarrassing. I mean, when you have two games, you know, and you're vice president for officiating, you have to put on the, you know, you have to put out a press release saying he got it all wrong and, and all your officials at the UCLA game got it wrong. And then to have to come back and say, yeah, and we screwed up the other game in LA too. I just think, you know, it's embarrassment there, but they don't mind, you know, they didn't have any problem calling out Porter's name and number and saying, you know, flag on him. But all of a sudden those guys are sacrosanct. No, call that guy out and say, you know, he he should have sent an, an apology note to Porter already for that. I mean, he really should. That was that was terrible. And I liked it that Porter said to him, "Hey, I didn't hear the whistle. You gotta blow that thing louder if you want. You know, you want to stop the play." But you know, I I I, I want to give the Pac-12 the benefit of the doubt. I like David Coleman. I think he's trying. But God, gone. I mean, they make it awful hard. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that's Stephen Powell. He said, I love not only the what, but also the how of that game. Um, next up, we got, we kind of got uh, dragging the weeds a little bit there. So this is Luke. He said, please tell Dan Weber he is a genius. I love Dan calling those ridiculous skies falling fans silly. He sure made himself look like a genius. Now the greatest USC uh, winning scoring difference uh, in the history of USC Stanford game when Stanford is ranked. Okay. So that's the largest margin of victory USC's ever had over Stanford when Stanford was ranked. Uh, what are, where are the skies falling fans? Uh, what do they say now? The biggest opponent to USC was the officials. Luke loved the podcast, USC fan. P.S. Yet Ryan, you are still smarter than Dan, but don't tell Dan. Oh, sorry, Luke. I read the whole thing. So. <laughs> well, I will say this. I, I, I did when I, picked USC. I mean, I honestly, I just picked them to be undefeated. I picked a game by game, and I said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pick them to lose against somebody that who's not as good as they are. I'm just just because, you know, people say, well, they always lose, or they always, you know, I said, I'm just not going to do that. And I actually did say that I thought double-digit win over Stanford. I, I'll be honest, I was not very, I, I, I was not convinced by Stanford's uh, rice romp i mean i just think it was meaningless i think it probably hurt them the whole trip and uh and to australia and then playing a basically a high school team uh i i don't think that prepared them for the usc game and i think the western michigan game prepared usc for the stanford game so i i looked at that as kind of a plus but man everybody else just went jumping off buildings i mean it just you know it just now usc he had to realize what was going on in the western michigan game and it looks like they you know could not have more learned their lesson my guess is they didn't learn all that many lessons in the western michigan game they went in there they were going to be vanilla they knew the stanford game was the one that mattered Western Michigan turned out to be clearly a better team than any of us had uh, anticipated. And so it became, you know, it was a struggle, and it was tough. And yet I don't think, I think they decided we're not going to deviate. We're not going to throw in all our stuff. We're not going to show, you know, what we're going to do. We're just going to get out of here with a win. And they scored 28 points in the fourth quarter, and, 
got out of there with the wind, you know, with the 100-degree temperature and all that. I mean, I thought that was a good sign, that USC was that much stronger in the fourth quarter. I thought that carried through this week. I mean, Stanford, by the end of the third quarter, that Stanford defense didn't look like it wanted to still be on the field, and the USC offense, you know, couldn't wait to get the ball. So there were a lot of, I think, things that, that made you think, uh, although I kind of wrote a pregame column telling them to do exactly what they ended up doing, uh, and just line up and knock them off the ball and play USC football. And, and not you can't worry about what they're going to do or who they are or how they play. You just take care of how you play. And I think you know, they say that. I think they really believe it, really understand it. I think the players and the coaches are, you know, really on the same page about that, that they, they really get it, that this is about them and how they play. Even I, though, was surprised to, to be able to play four running backs in the first half seamlessly. I mean, just one of, you did when you saw the play develop, you weren't sure who, who is that in there? Uh, the way they're all running the ball and, uh, to watch the offensive line attack people like that, that just, uh, you know, that was always to me, you know, growing up back in the Midwest, that's what USC football to me was. An off- offense, you know, I know everybody, you know, the tailback you and all that, but I thought I was always so impressed with their big athletic attacking offensive linemen that you didn't see, you didn't see those guys, uh, you know, the rest of the country. USC had guys that didn't look like uh, and didn't play like uh, guys in the rest of the country. And, and they're getting back to that with this offensive line. You know, they may not have the, you know, Anthony Munoz type guys quite, but they're pretty darn athletic and they're pretty tough minded and they've, they've, they've been around enough to, to pretty much know what the heck they're doing. I thought that, you know, that was, uh, so I, I had a, I had a fairly good feeling about them. I, I just thought they, uh, I thought they were in the right place with the right people doing the right things and turned out to be the case. It did. Uh, let's go. Justin in downtown, he said, why does it seem like the Pac-12 referees call the game so much tighter than refs in other conferences? It seems like the refs in our conference almost consider themselves a third team on the field. Worse yet, USC is always more penalized than the other teams. Can you explain how the refs are assigned to specific games and whether Pac-12 refs are in- instructed to call a tighter game? Justin in downtown L.A. I don't think we know at all. I'll be honest. I covered the SEC and the Big Ten. I mean, I was, uh, I even went to Big Ten officials meetings. I, I was, got to know the guy that ran the Big Ten, uh, officials and would go to his, they would come in Northern Indiana Tuesday, near Michigan City, actually, Tuesday night, and they'd go watch film. Uh, all the guys that could drive there. Uh, and they'd criticize one another and talk, but, but they weren't afraid to tell you who they all were, where they were from, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, the Pac-12 has been, I mean, I don't know that they've ever put out an official's directory. Uh, you know, I just think there's been a secrecy about the Pac-12 officials that I've never been able to quite figure out why. Uh, I know we used to hear that it was such a closed place that the really good officials, younger officials, that were working in the, you know, Mountain West and the Big Sky and the WAC and those places would end up going somewhere else or maybe jump into the NFL because they couldn't get into the Pac-12. And it was kind of a closed shop. Uh, I think a couple of things are going on. There are more, there's more passing. 
There are more plays that are difficult calls. There are more things that, uh, that, you know, that you know is going to be, have some controversy because of the way they play in the Pac-12. I don't think there's any question about that. The second part of it is there seems to be a lack of confidence to just let the play happen. And you see the officials you ran into in the SEC and the Big Ten just seemed more confident that they were going to make the call or not make the call and just let it stand and keep on going. I always got the feeling that with the Pac-12, the lack of confidence that you would see in officials caused them to throw more flags just to be safe, you know. And I think USC has been sort of the driver of the Pac-12, you know, certainly since Pete was there, and, and that's when everybody started noticing it, was that teams tended and Pete, you know, came up with the uh, the statistics how teams that played USC showed a dramatic drop off in their penalties that week. And as Pete pointed out to the Pac-12, he said, "That's not. You can say we play this way and we deserve this or whatever." He said, "But the other team, why does their the way they're officiated change when they play USC? And it shouldn't." Uh, I think in the Stanford game, when the game mattered, it was really one-sided. Now, they, they threw in about three penalties at the end when the game was completely decided so that if you looked at the, the final stats, it wouldn't be so obvious how, how one-sided the game was. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't, I don't think any of us are going to ever figure out the, uh, the deal with, uh, with the way USC the way they look at USC and, and everybody else. I would say there are an awful lot of teams in the Pac-12 had the Porter-Gustin play happen with them would not have been flagged. USC, they got the flag. I'd say if you ran that play again with almost anybody else in the Pac-12, they'd not, they would not have thrown the flag. So why? Uh, I, I don't think we, I just don't think we can, you know, I mean, there's a really obvious answer. <laughs> you, you hate to say that's the answer, but I'm not sure we can come up with another answer. Well, let's go on. Um, we have a voicemail question again. Here you go. Hey, what's up, guys? Here from Fontana. Day after the game, and I'm still buzzing from that win. The uh, the aggressiveness, uh, even to the last drive, they still they still ran it down Stanford's throat. Um, Everybody can play a, uh, play a complete game. Uh, the coaches called a great game. Um, re- re- just really happy, really happy, man. Um, cause they put, they played against a, a tough Stanford team and, uh, Stanford looked really shook afterwards. Um, because USC just wouldn't let up. Um, fight on, beat Texas. And hey, by the way, SC fans, I know. Uh, next weekend, of course, for the for the Texas game is sold out. But if you haven't watched the uh, the post game press conference, you can go on YouTube and check it out. Your quarterback's calling you out. That you know he he's saying you know they feed off the energy that that the fans brought to the Coliseum. Let's let's keep on filling out those seats because this team, you know, uh, they, they they feed off of it, and uh, it it would it, it would be uh, fun to watch this team. 
keep on improving, keep on playing aggressive throughout the season. Thanks, guys. Fight on. Yeah, I think good comments. I thought the you know the energy between the crowd and the team really played out uh, Saturday. I thought uh, you know they stayed till the end. Uh, they were really in every play. It 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 didn't sound like an LA crowd. It sounded more you know like an SEC you know kind of crowd where every single play really matters. Uh, I I thought that was just a a great job by the USC crowd and every single USC player mentioned that that we talked to. I mean there was no question. And, and your point about the USC at the end of the game. I mean that's. First thing I got, we get down to the field at five minutes to go, and and it was so obvious the body language, you know, difference between USC and Stanford. You know, the USC kids just can't wait for them to blow the whistle and put the ball in play, and the Stanford kids are like, saying, how many more minutes do we got to do this?" And then um, then you see Ronald Jones, because we're right in that corner, and here he comes, you know, for that last touchdown, and he's, you know. Uh, Vianney giving the t- touchdown signal, you know, as he breaks the line of scrimmage pretty much. And then here he is, you know, as, uh, Gus, Gus Johnson said, what a helicoptering into the end zone. And, um, the, the energy, uh, you know, that, that, that they were showing you was, uh, was really special. Uh, I, and, and again, I think that was the crowd and the team together. And, and that's a great point. This, uh, this team notices that and it, it was different. And these are guys who've been around a long time. They knew. They could tell. And um, I, I thought that was a, a really good comment by all the guys that, that noted it, that, that the crowd made a big difference. Let's see. Let's go to uh, Sergeant Rodney uh, in the U.S. Army. He's up in Husky territory. He said, with the win against Stanford, do you feel USC finally has its identity back? Or do you want to see how USC plays its first away game like I do? I like how USC played this game. Reminded me of the 2008 USC team that beat them on every level of the game. I just hope they don't get too cocky and start taking teams lightly. Thanks for what you guys do. I'm a big fan of yours and hope to become a sports journalist when my military career is up like you guys. Fight on. Sergeant Rodney. All right. Cool, Sergeant Rodney. Hey, uh, this is a two-sergeant podcast. How about that? Um, This is great. Uh, Yeah, I think... I think the, the the beauty of focusing all on yourself, because that's again that's all you've got control of. But if you focus on yourself, you don't get caught up in 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 whether you take somebody lightly or not. It's not about them; it's about you. And so I think that's the that's the way to go. I do know this that the good USC teams loved going on the road. That was just as much they'd rather play on the road than at home as much as they like the coliseum and as much as that you know the win streak and all that uh they could not enjoy more going on the road and playing in front of a hostile crowd or at least uh you know it'll be interesting cal now looks like you know who would have guessed that they'd go in and beat north carolina at north carolina and so um, um so that'll be fun going to Cal. It always is, but uh, even more so if Cal, you know, thinks they got a chance and their fans turn out, that'll, that'll be great. And then you got, you know, Washington State in a game that will kick off smartly at 1030 East Coast time on a Friday night. Nice. Nice job by the by the Pac-12. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think they'll be crazy at Martin Stadium. I mean, after 
what they did in that three overtime win on against Boise State and the kind of game they usually lose where they, you know, they coined the phrase cooging it, which I guess you would you'd be familiar with that as uh, as somebody up there in the in the state of Washington. Uh they'll be fired up and that's a whole day. USC's been there before with one of those late night games and when they have a whole day the students at Washington State have a whole day to get ready for a night game. Um, they are, um, they're pretty fired up and, uh, fueled up and ready to go. So, so that'll be fun. So they get a couple of chances in a row to, you know, go on the road and, and see how they handle it. But, uh, but I think, uh, I hope they approach it the way, you know, the, the really good USC teams have done in the past where they just can't wait to, to get you know on the road and 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 perform in front of a hostile crowd. All right, uh, let's see. Let's do. Excuse me, one second. Uh, we're gonna do Paul Santa Clarita. Um, he says, "I saw a number of 2016 USC players made it onto their respective NFL teams' practice squads: Damian Mama and Liam McQuay with Kansas City, Isaac Whitney and Jordan Simmons with the Raiders." What do you think about their chances of getting onto the 53-man roster? Uh, same question for you guys who were cut from their teams, like Justin Davis. Justin Davis is actually still in the Rams. Uh, Darius Rogers and Daquan Hampton. Good news is that Chad Wheeler is the current backup left tackle with the New York Giants. Paul and Santa Clarita. Well, yeah, I think they were all in that basic general kind of area where they just, you know, maybe not quite, uh, but... But with a chance, I think they still have a chance. I think those are, you know, those are, you know, guys that proved a lot in their career. They faced a lot, uh, and they're, you know, right on the margin. I, I think of, of 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 being, you know, being on that, you know, that roster. I mean, I, I know it's tough. That I think they kept ninety players until the last week this year for the first time, and then they go to fifty three. So. You know, that's a 37 man cut. And at that point in time, I think for rookies, it's, it's pretty hard. Um, and I think you could only hope that, that, that every one of them, you know, has a chance. I just think if you make the practice squad, you got a chance. Uh, and, and I mean, I, I, obviously Isaac Whitney showed him something, you know, uh, you know, we, we were shocked when he ran the 4-4, you know, on pro day. And at his size and and all of that, I think he's got a chance. I think you know, Darius has got to you know work on his speed, but boy, he's a tough kid and makes all those tough catches. And so I mean, and Damian and 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 you know, Zach got traded to Cleveland after getting cut at Indianapolis, and and they all. I think it helps you to be coming from USC. I just think the fact that you're you know you're a USC guy. Uh, there is something about, you know, coming from the program that produced more NFL players than any program. And I think this year there's still USC still number three, uh, with players on active rosters. So, uh, so I think that helps them a little bit, but, uh, I think they've all got a chance. Uh, you just wish the best for them. You know, these were all, you know, kids that went through some tough times at USC, not of their own making and, uh, you know, hung in there and, toughed it out and uh, all we can you know wish is you know for the best for those guys he had one other one uh who do you feels uh improved the most going from week one to week two which player that's again from paul 
You know, I think we probably didn't pay enough attention to Chris Brown in, in week one. So uh, I just know that he looked awfully good in week two. I mean, he did some some things and toughness and finesse and uh, combination stuff and, you know, quickness and, uh, you know, getting to the next level and just uh, – uh, and then I, I would say Stephen Mitchell, just, uh, you know, a two-touchdown game. Uh, you know, that's just – you know, I mean, three guys with two touchdowns. I mean, and you're not surprised with Rojo anymore and you're not surprised with Stephen – you know, but uh, – uh, I mean, with Deontay. And we're probably surprised that Steven doesn't get, you know, a touchdown or two. But, uh, um, but I might go with, you know, Chris Brown, uh, just because he was kind of overlooked. Although Steven Mitchell, you'd probably, uh, you know, put in that, uh, in that category. Good one there. Let's see. Um, Rich in Maryland. After just two games, it's great to see the fantastic growth of Rojo and the exciting emergence of Steven Carr contributing so quickly. This reminds me of when Marcus Allen had to play fullback for Charles White at tailback as a freshman. Just like Marcus, they have to get Steven on the field. It was fun watching them perform together in a two-back offense like you've been hitting about the last weekend. Steven's pass-catching ability is the best out of the backfield I have seen at USC, and his, his, his open running is something very special to, too. Rojo has earned his time in the spotlight, and Steven can certainly contribute. What are your thoughts? Forever a Trojan, rich in Maryland. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a good thing Rojo, you know, decided I'm going to, you know, put on that weight. I'm going to be more explosive. I'm going to run with power. I'm going to, you know, not just be the, you know, the guy that runs away from people. I'm going to run over people. I'm going to hit the hole. I'm going to be able to catch the ball. He's worked real hard on his hands. Uh, he's just a, a delight to be around. He just, uh, and then to have Steven, uh, you know, come along and, and, and the benefits of getting a really one-of-a-kind running backs coach in, in Delan McCullough, the things he does, uh, he keeps it interesting and fun, and he has drills that he does that are the closest to game action, full speed, forcing uh, full speed decisions, forcing uh, uh, them to you know hold on to the football. The stuff, the things he does with the water footballs and the spring-loaded uh, football on a, on, a, on a rope and then the, the trash cans and all of that. And you see it playing out in the games, like immediately the jump cuts and the, the way they can read the next level and the next level as he's teaching them. You know, the, you're going to run through the trash at the line of scrimmage, and now you, you, know, you want to already know where you're going next. Well, you see that play out, you know, on all those touchdown runs. You're just seeing or those, you know, you know, Steven's got two 52-yarders in, in two games. I mean, they're, they're looking down the field, and they're taking care of the football, and they're doing things that, uh, that are just, you know, special. But even maybe more surprising is Vavai and, and Sad are right there with them. I mean, and that, you know, that you've got four backs and that you're, you know, you're willing to trust any of them in almost any situation, and, and that's unusual. I mean, I'm... I'm surprised. Uh, I know they, uh, Tommy Robinson was able to get four backs going when Buck Allen arrived and they figured out what they had to do, you know, with the rotation. But the way they're doing it now is something I don't think we've ever seen. And, uh, they just seem so darn coachable. And, um, and then to have the way Deland and, uh, and Neil Callaway are working together on the run game, 
is uh, pretty special. So, uh, yeah, enjoy it while you can. It's uh, it's fun to watch uh, a team that can line up and, and run the ball on Stanford. I mean, if you can do that and they have the confidence uh, that you can do that, uh, boy, it's uh, – I mean, you know, if I'm a fan and I'm, I'm sitting there watching them line up and run the first three plays and just, you know, three three Rojo runs for a first down deep and just keep running it. Um, it, it and the message that sent to Stanford, because that's not supposed to happen to Stanford. And I think they were really, I think for their coaches and their players, that they were having trouble handling that. That just doesn't happen to them. And it was happening, and, and I don't think they knew what to do about it. Let's see. Let's, uh, we got this kind of long one, Jason and Longhorn Country. What a great game Saturday. You guys were definitely right. I was wrong about the ability of this team to change so drastically in one week. I thought Jack Jones's aggressiveness against the run was really impressive. Also, I have some concerns about a Jane Harris's tackling early in the season, but you all assured me he has improved. Boy, were you all right? Uh, that one open field tackle for a loss on love was sensational. Now that brings us to Texas. Herman has a history of uh, taking lesser talent and coaching them up to upset more talented teams. I can see this being a trap game coming off such a dominant performance against the tree. It kind of scares me that Texas has two different quarterbacks and Herman has not announced a starter. Uh, do you think that the coaches have learned from their mistakes against Western Michigan and preparing for multiple offenses? And also, what are the coaches doing to prevent a lackadaisical follow-up to such a big-time win? We should beat Texas by two or more touchdowns. However, we... If we come in flat and are over, overconfident, then this Texas team has the ability to beat us. Fight on Jason and Longhorn country. And uh, Mike and Irvine wanted to know the same thing. Could this week's game against Texas be a trap game? You know, I I, I don't know that that's the case. Uh, I, I think they need, obviously, you got to have a good game plan. Obviously, you've got to be ready to play, you know, full speed and, and, and sell out. I don't think you'll see the Western Michigan game plan you know again I, I just think that was to get to Stanford I really believe it now whether it was you know absolutely discussed that we're going to just be super vanilla and we're not going to we're not going to deviate and and we'll unveil what we're going to do uh for the Stanford game because because it matters so much uh but I think at this point it's all about you it's not about about the opponent it's like okay we got to be ready this week but maybe not next week and blah 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 i just think that that goes away i mean i think you know the way they have tried to regularize practice and to standardize it and to go from one week to the next week to the next week and to be able to measure how did you do this tuesday compared to last tuesday we're doing the same thing uh we we're being just as demanding i think it, it it focuses on the right place, which is you, the only thing you've got control of. So I think at, at this point, um, uh, it's not a worry. I don't think. I, I think the, you know the, and and while you don't want to fall back on these things, you know a sellout crowd, the excitement and all that kind of stuff, uh, and the you know as much as we don't want to think about it, you know, what happened in the 2006 Rose Bowl. All that kind of stuff. And the fact that Texas is, I mean, somebody pointed out the other day that USC, if you look back at, at the second half of, of, uh, of Clay's win streak, uh, 
you've got football powers like Oregon or recent power and Washington and UCLA and Penn State and Stanford. Now you get Texas. He's got, you know, some of the, you know, long time and, and big name, uh, you know, football powers, uh, Notre Dame in there, excuse me, also. And so Texas is kind of an extension of that where USC, you know, you're going up against, uh, uh, you know, Oregon, Washington, Stan, uh, UCLA, Notre Dame, Penn State, uh, Stanford and Texas. That's kind of a good run. And, and I don't think you want to, you know, drop one from the other or, or vice versa. You just keep going, you know, and say, you know, you don't say this team, well, they're better than that team or we don't have to show up this week. I, I just, I don't see that. I really don't see that. I don't think I'd be shocked if that were possible this week. I, I just, I really, I don't see it. Uh, let's see. We got another voicemail question for you. We got a couple more and we'll let you go, but here's the last voicemail question of the day. Good morning. This is Sir Eric of Troy calling from Rancho Cucamonga. This message is for Dan Weber. This question is for Dan Weber, rather. Um, guys, I want to tell you that I just simply did not enjoy the game nearly, nearly as much without those headset radios that we used to have where I could listen to Pete Arbogast call the game in real time. I tried using the TuneIn app, and it had to be at least 30 to 45 seconds uh, behind the action. And it, I guess I've just been spoiled, you know, by hearing Pete and the guys up in the booth, and I'm not enjoying myself at the stadium nearly, nearly as much as I always did without that. Did we ever get any information at all as to what happened and why we don't have those? I mean, this is just not enjoyable. I uh, was hoping that Dan or something could, or you or someone could shed some light on this. Thanks so much. And okay, I'll take one shot at it. I did hear that the people who had the regular AM radios who were listening were getting very little delay. That, that the tune-in app was causing them the delay that you said. But if you bring a, uh, a little, uh, a radio, uh, and and listen listen to the the game broadcast that they now whether that means they were you know fudging something and didn't go with the 10 second delay or not i don't know i didn't check it out i just heard that from people that if you went and and had your own little am radio that you could uh you could get it without almost a delay uh so i might try it this week to see what i'm what I'm hearing, but I did hear that the tune-in app was uh, was the 30 to 40 second delay. Yeah, uh, and it, so I had heard that Dan about the first game. I don't know about the second one, and I just can't imagine there being a broad. I think the broadcast you're getting in the stadium would be the same one you would get if you were anywhere. You were downtown, or you know, the beach, or whatever. I would think it's the same one. So maybe the station wasn't on a delay accidentally for the Western Michigan game. I did not hear anything about the the Stanford game. But that's something to kind of check out. But I think either way, the tune-in app is just, it's way too long of a delay. You're just a transistor radio will get you better. Now, maybe like Dan yeah. said, maybe it gets you even better, better. Maybe it's live, but that hasn't been the case before. And I'd only heard it for the first game. No one told me that. Did anyone tell you that for the second one, Dan? I heard, I heard that it was close. 
Now, I don't know what close means, and I, I probably should have monitored that myself, but, uh, but I heard that it was close, and it wasn't distracting, but I, I don't know exactly what we're talking about there, close, in terms of, you know, was it close to being live? I don't know that for sure. It was definitely faster, but uh, we'll see. Uh, and there used to be a way that you could listen to a small, uh, like a half-watt uh, direct uh, uh, broadcast from the booth, which was not technically governed by the FCC. Uh, so I, I would suggest if you bring uh, an AM radio, you just go from one end of the dial to the other and see what you get if, uh, if there is something there that allows you to do that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Okay, let's see. We got John and Brea. Is it too early to name Dela McCullough as the assistant coach, or the assistant head coach, and extend his contract? His interview with Keeley before the Stanford game foreshadowed what he saw in that game. It's just incredibly, I'm just incredibly impressed with him as a person, the way he coaches, and of course, the results we see on the field. Kudos to Clay for hiring him away from Indiana. Fight on John and Brea. Yeah, I mean, I think it was so obvious. Uh, and Clay, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the hire and maybe it just went over the top, rightly so. And I know he got mocked for that by, you know, people who thought, gosh, you know, you keep saying this guy's the greatest hire and whatever. He is. <laughs> he, he's so good. It's stunning how... You know, that, that they didn't have any real connections to him, that they just found him. You know, Clay did his homework, and uh, he's he's so good at scary. I mean, watching what he does on the practice, he's doing things that I've never seen anybody do. That trans- I mean, what you're trying to do as a football coach is to translate what you're doing in practice as close as possible to what's going to happen in the game, at game speed, under game pressure, and he's doing things that absolutely do that, and you see it translated into into action. Yeah, he's just uh, he's as he's as good as we said he was. I mean, it makes you feel good when you say this guy's really, really good. Uh, and then you see the players reacting to it. I mean, they love playing for him because he makes them better, and they know it. And uh, it's just uh, it's just it's wonderful to see. I mean, he's. Uh, you know, I love it that he's a you know kind of a, a Cincinnati guy. He was a school principal and football coach at an inner city charter school. I mean, he's got a background and was an NFL player as a running back, and played on a Miami of Ohio team that beat the Big Ten champs Northwestern uh, for their only loss of the year until USC beat him in the Rose Bowl. I mean, he's got all of these things going for him that are just special. Uh, but uh, you, you just uh, you couldn't and you know comes out of. Uh, out of uh, football place, Youngstown, Ohio, where, uh, you know, the Stoops brothers and Bo Pelini and all those people, you know, have come out and just, a, you know, an absolute, you know, place where football uh, coaches obviously come from. But uh, just a terrific, uh, terrific hire. And, yeah, however long they can lock him down, go ahead and do it. And the best thing is that, you know, I've talked about this a lot. This was like the first non- 
like nepotistic hire USC's had in a long time and it's working out really well. So maybe that's something that'll encourage, you know, future administrators and coaches and stuff to like, Hey, we don't need to hire people. We only know let's hire people that are good at their job from other places. Um, so maybe that's a great idea because that, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you don't hit the, for example, there are a lot of people who get USC for, I mean, when he got the chance to come to USC, you could tell the land wanted to get USC. He thought, this is the place. If I want to coach running backs and recruit running backs, we're better. If I can coach him in Indiana, how in the world much better can I do coaching him at USC? So there are those people out there who realize, is there a better place in the whole world to do this? And uh, you just got to find them. But, uh, boy, they found uh, they found him. Yeah, great job there. One last one question for you from Otis. Uh, hey, Ryan, this is for Dan. I understand UCLA has not played Stanford yet, but do you think UCLA slash Jim Morris slash Josh uh, Rosen, he's talking about, are both jealous that after three years of sanctions, USC got better faster? Otis. You know, whether they think about that or not, probably their fans think about it a lot if you go on, uh, uh, you know, uh, a UCLA fan site. Uh they they think about it a lot. Yeah, it might it might bug them a little bit. I know their losing to Stanford bugs them a whole lot. Uh, their inability to just get anything right against Stanford it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know they'll I guess they're up there. Aren't they up there the same day as USC Cal? I think uh, uh, UCLA Stanford I think plays later in the day. Uh, so uh, if we're driving home, we'll be able to listen to the UCLA-Stanford game. Another a great example of Pac-12, both of them are at home. Uh, I guess both of them will be on the road in a couple of weeks uh, in the same place, too, in the Bay Area. Nice. That works out really well. Um, unbelievable that, that that's how the Pac-12 schedule them. But uh, I don't know. I hate to criticize the Pac-12. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> sure you do, Dan. A good question, Otis, my man. Um, Got to get a uh, <laughs> Animal House reference in there. <laughs> good I stuff. do like it. I saw on two boards this week Animal House references, and one of them was to me because I, uh, I think I went a little overboard on Sam saying he hadn't lost a game, and obviously I, I wanted to give him that uh, Utah game. But anyway... Uh, in the uh, in the Monday column, and somebody wrote in and and, and used the uh, uh, the flounder line about you know about when John Belushi was saying uh, did it end when the Japs or you know when the uh, Germans bombed Pearl Harbor, and Flounder says uh, uh, let it go he's he's rolling or whatever yeah he's on a roll yeah. Something. He's like, the yeah. Germans didn't bomb Pearl Harbor. He's like, let him go. He's on a roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He's on a roll. <laughs> and somebody did that at Texas, too, this week. I can't remember what the reference was. But, uh, oh, they asked Chip Brown, who's the very well-thought-of publisher of the Horns Digest, and in his preseason where he went through the 12 games like I did, he picked Texas to upset USC. So somebody uh, – Ask him about that this week, and uh, he he said, "Are you sticking to your you know uh, prediction?" And he said something to the effect of, 
well, was it over? You know, he said, are you, are you, get, are you over that prediction? He said, was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? And then a couple of, couple of their fans said, Chip, the Germans didn't bomb Pearl Harbor. And then somebody else said, he's kidding. It's from Animal House. You know, it was one of those. So we're getting a lot of Animal House. Uh, and the scary thing is, for those of us who really remember Animal House, it's kind of ancient history for some some people at this point in time. It shouldn't be. It should be required, you know, every single, you know, college student in America should be required to watch Animal House. But uh but it is kind of, you know, back there. Uh filmed at the University of Oregon. By the way, they originally wanted to film Animal House at UCLA and UCLA gave them permission and then realized uh, somebody read the script and they said, uh uh-uh. uh you're not, you're not doing that here. So they went to, uh, Eugene and they filmed it at the University of Oregon. But, um, uh, yeah, can't get enough Animal House reference. Can't yeah. get too many of those anyway. Pretty cool stuff. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, check him out on the site, uscfootball.com. Lots of columns, lots of information going up on the site. Uh, thanks for, uh, doing all that, man. We had a pretty, well, how long did we go here? Yeah, hour and 17 minutes. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we got to all the questions. Good questions. All, all the good questions. And yeah. keep those questions coming in from Queens. Uh, like those. Uh, that was, uh, that's fun. Yeah. We got uh, some... We're getting them from a lot more places, a lot more geographical, geographic desert, diversity here, I think. Is, that's great. Yeah. We were good. It was funny. I just in the, uh, Facebook live thing I did before the game, uh, I kind of showed like the band and, you know, the team warming up and stuff just from the press box. I was broadcasting that. We can't broadcast the game, obviously. We're not allowed to do that. But and then uh, after the game, I uh, did like the the guys on the field. But before the game, I was asking, "Hey, where's everybody from?" And man, we were getting all over the globe. People were watching like uh, our Facebook live feed. It's pretty cool, and we get lots of international questions here too on the podcast. And we do appreciate that. It's great to have the kind of reach. Uh, it's our tenth season covering the team, so uh, I guess a lot of people have picked it up. Uh, USC fans from all over the world. So we do appreciate that. Uh, thanks to Dan Weber. Thanks to everyone else for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.